Hi, welcome to my podcast, On The Grow. I'm Grace Lee. In the last episode, I covered the topic of why we self-sabotage. I talked about what causes us to self-sabotage, a fear that I have that causes me to self-sabotage, how self-sabotaging affects our relationships, careers, and even personally. I share a lot of past experiences and stories that you might find relatable and helpful for any situation you're going and growing through. If you haven't heard it already, you should definitely check it out. In this episode, I'll cover the number games we play with ourselves. And what exactly does that mean? I'll talk about the numbers we tend to obsess and focus heavily over in our lives. Whether that's our weight and size, followers and likes on Instagram, running, our age, and money. They all fall under the category of what I like to call the number games. This episode will consist of a lot of my past history, experiences, and more. Anytime someone mentions, let's talk numbers, I cringe. Something about math just really triggers me. I want to discuss these prominent topics in our lives that cause us to play the number games. Size, weight, social media likes, and followers, age, money. Growing up, I never liked math. I was proficient at reading, writing, history, but math? Man, there was something about numbers and equations that just didn't click with me. I try to like it. I try to understand it. But for some reason, math was like a foreign language to me. I struggled with the subject all my years of academics, from kindergarten to elementary school to middle school and even high school. I remember my dad would try to tutor me with math on occasions and he would get so frustrated with my lack of skill and knowledge there. When I took AP Statistics and AP Calculus in high school, I remember feeling so distraught in those classes. I felt so much pressure to be good at math. It wasn't like anyone else was putting that pressure on me, first of all. I was putting that pressure on myself. Everyone else just seemed to understand how to solve problems, and there I was, struggling to even understand what the problem even was. (laughs) I tried to make it out as, it's common sense. And then my mind going to, do I just not have any common sense? I was really hard on myself then. Probably when my perfectionist and overachiever mentality began. I wanted to know it all, do it all, be good at everything. But math was my biggest weakness. There were many occasions where people would try to teach it to me in different ways in hopes that I would be able to understand it. Maybe if they used this language, or spoke in a calmer voice, or literally broke it down for me to someone who just didn't know how to quote math. I just dubbed myself as a creative arts person and never messed with math after high school again. My favorite go-to line was, I prefer not to do the math, with a shrug. Even now, when I'm outdoor dining, and the check comes and I'm sitting there trying to figure out the gratuity, I'll quickly 
type in the numbers on my iPhone calculator. Every now and then, I'll glance at my friends or the person I'm dining with to see them mentally calculating the tip in their head and scribbling it onto the paper. I'm very observant, and that always catches my attention every single time. All my friends listening to this podcast are going to take note of it the next time I go out to eat with them. Yes, I watch you calculate tip in your head. Anyway, back to my high school days. Luckily, I passed the AP Stat exam in high school and didn't have to take any math course at UNC Chapel Hill. It was the biggest blessing. I'm not even dramatic when I say I celebrated that very news. I hope this gives you a little insight into how much math really affects me negatively. I stopped using my TI-89 calculator, those bulky, bulky gray calculators. Remember when people would write messages in the calculators when they were boarding classes? Good old days. Anyway, I don't even know where that calculator went. And honestly, I was so happy I was done with math. That's all that mattered. But after high school, I realized that I wasn't truly finished with math. Math became a daily part of my routine and not in a healthy way. I went down a really dark path, starting from my junior year of high school into college, where I started to play the number game. The game where I was constantly counting the calories, counting the numbers dropping on the scale, counting the sizes going down in my clothes, Numbers flooded my mind. It's all I ever thought about. I was obsessed with calculating how much I had to stay within my calorie limit, setting up these odd monthly diet countdowns till I had to reach X number. The irony is that I despised math for everything it was, but I was obsessed with numbers. I had trouble with problem-solving equations in high school, and now I was having trouble problem-solving my situation that I was continuously digging a deeper hole in. You're probably thinking, so if you knew what you were doing, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you shut off the calculations in your head? If you really hated math, you wouldn't be forcing yourself to keep doing it. I asked myself the same thing. You don't even like adding numbers and figuring out all these calculations, so why don't you shut it off? But here's the thing about results. They're addicting, especially when you start to see it really fast in the beginning. You start to see all the hard work pay off. It's working. Why would you stop? Would you stop? A voice in your head tells you to keep going, that what you see right now is progress and you're still working to get there, that you're not done, that you're not even close, but how strong you are for being so disciplined. And then you listen and keep going because you want to be stronger mentally. The results are proof that you do have what it takes and no one can stop you. It's an oddly satisfying feeling when you're in this mindset, but also dangerous. For someone who wasn't good at math, I sure was doing a lot of it. 
I liked reaching certain goals I placed on myself. The numbers made it incredibly hard to break away from. When you see certain numbers on a, like on a scale, it feels like a challenge to take on that you can change that number. And when the number does change, slowly and surely, it's never enough. The goal mark, the goal mark is never enough. The second goal mark is never enough. I can't tell you enough times where I wrote in my journal the days I would reach my goal mark. I would reach my goal mark on the day I had it marked in my calendar. What a glorious feeling, you might be thinking. But for some reason, I'd smile in the morning, and then as the hours went by, it would fade. And then that happiness would drift away because it meant I had to reach the next goal mark and put myself through more hell in order to do so. It was fulfilling in a sick way. My moods were constantly all over the place. I'd go from happy to sad to cranky all within one hour. I don't know why I put myself through hell for that. In the process of attaining the physical and mental person I wanted to be, I was destroying myself physically and mentally instead. And my disordered thinking made me still feel invincible. I say all this because I know how much our size and appearance affects all of us. My focus right now, primarily towards women. I have been on Instagram since the day the app launched. I've watched it evolve over 10 years. How something like a photo sharing app has evolved into a global platform where you can show someone on the other side of the world what kind of coffee you're drinking the clothes you're wearing, and everything about your personal life. But also, how much pressure it's put on people like me. Let's talk about the evolution of social media marketing. Influencers, Instagram models, Instagram fitness girls, the creators who never feel satisfied with themselves because of what they're seeing on a daily basis, to women striving to look like the Kylie Jenner's and Kim Kardashians of the world, when the things we're seeing on social media is only what they want us to see. People Photoshop, edit, filter. Many of us take that as the real thing. I know I sure did. I didn't want to edit any part of myself. So if I looked too fat in a photo, I'd do something about it. So I never felt that way again. I've seen women bash other women because they're too fat or size X and it is the most degrading feeling hearing someone say that to you. It traumatizes you. It really sticks with you no matter how strong you are. And when you feel unworthy, you use those triggers to feel your pain, to dig the knife a little deeper into where it hurts. You feel like you're not good enough, so you tell yourself you deserve the pain. I always wrote in my journal, Grace, it is better to feel physical pain than emotional pain. I've always cared too deeply about people. Not always a bad thing, but somehow it became one. I knew that if I pushed all my attention 
and focus on my physical state, then I wouldn't have I wouldn't have the time and energy to think about my emotional state. When you feel unworthy, you start to believe it. That you are what they say you are. And that you do need to lose weight or be a certain size to be accepted. I've always stood by the line, you attract the right people when you have a sense of who you are. If your confidence and self-esteem is low, you attract those people. You allow people to tell you who you are and what you are because you are not sure of it yourself. But when you do have a firm understanding and self-confidence in who you are and what you stand for, those voices don't overpower yours. When I was at my lowest, literally and metaphorically speaking, I was the most sensitive. I was the most insecure and everything affected me, bothered me, and I couldn't get away from the noise. When I was in college and growing my Instagram, I want to say I was at 15K, but I was growing pretty rapidly. I started to tie in the number game I played with my weight to convince myself the reason why I wasn't growing even faster was because I wasn't white, tall, stick skinny, and had all the money to buy all the designer bags and shoes. I started to piece together the parts that I knew I couldn't change. An Asian American, not a white girl. Short and petite, and not a tall girl. Money where I was comfortable and could afford many things, but not everything designer. But there was one thing I could change. And that was how I looked. I could definitely do something about that. And so that's also the main reason that fueled me to keep going. To achieve the level of perfection that I needed to attain. For me. For those around me. For those who underestimated me. For those who told me I couldn't get there. For those who hurt me. For those who hated me. The number games extended to social media. Social media was a whole other ballpark. When Instagram hit a sudden wave of influencers gaining fame on the platform and people began to be more aware of the influence people had on others, it became a huge number game. PR companies and brands will only work with you if you have more than 10k followers. So everyone pushed for that number. A few months later, the number has to be 20k, 30k, 50k. Oh, you don't have 100k? Yeah, you're not good enough. Don't even get me started on the 500k mark. Do you know how exhausting that is to be deemed worthy by a number? When I was working my first job at a global shoewear company here in New York City, I remember attending meetings where the company would talk about influencers as items. We were price tags. Names? No, more like numbers. 
Let's go with 500k, not 200k, they'd say. I tried to change that as much as I could in the time that I was there. I insisted that the numbers don't define who influencers are. I told them to pay attention to the quality of the work, the engagement rate, what they can bring to the table, not the number in their bio. Did they listen? Probably not. I understand the importance of knowing follower counts. I mean, I'm a social media strategist, remember? But to define that as the only thing was difficult to deal with. Similar to the number game with our size and weight, I wanted others to stop focusing on what they perceived on the outside and urge them to look within. Look at their content, the way they worded things, their responses, their actions, their influence. I guess for me, it was easier to urge others to do that with social media, and it was off limits for me to do that for myself. But this number game is just as addicting as any other number game. When you start growing followers, you start to feel worthy, loved. As humans, we all secretly want that. The number is never enough. When I hit 10k followers, I remember feeling so accomplished. But the next week, that wore away, and I wanted more. I was itching for 11k, maybe even 12, oof, 13. That's how I know now to feel grateful for where I am. Even though I've been stuck in the 20k's since college, I'm reminded of how much progress I've made. There are days where I'll feel frustrated over the number, but that's why we have reminders. We are going to fall back to our old ways. However, progress is realizing that you will fall back, but that you can catch yourself in those very moments too. Since quarantine, I've been focusing a lot on my running. It's been helping me grow physically and mentally stronger. I mentioned it before on an Instagram story back in April when I was running frequently during the worst months of quarantine. I sometimes self-sabotage my own runs. Before I even run, I start to panic thinking I'm going to run out of energy or pass out or not finish in time and all of these reasons flood my mind and cause me to just stress out. I realize that before my runs, I'm always thinking about the number of miles I'm going to run and the time I'm going to complete it in. These numbers already dictate that I'm either a success for accomplishing the set mile time and set mile distance or a failure for not reaching it. The more miles I clock, the more accomplished I feel. You know, I've always been curious about the psychology behind our obsession with the growth in numbers. Age is another number game we play. The older you are, the more mature and experienced you are. Not always the case. I can name plenty of people who are much older than me, in their early, mid, and late 30s, who behave like they're still in college. Let's be real. We all know those people. Maturity is more likely at an older age, 
but not always. Remember that. I run into plenty of people who determine my worth by my age. I wrote a blog post, actually, at the end of summer 2018 titled, Why I Believe Age Doesn't Determine Your Worth. Since we're on the podcast here, I want to actually read it out loud. Here's how it starts. The past two weeks were simple reminders that a lot can happen in a short period of time. The funny thing about time is, we tend to think we're constantly running out of it. We'll push things or force things a certain way because we're almost certain that if we don't, it won't happen. I'm 100% guilty of that. Being patient has never been my strong suit, especially when it comes down to things that I want. In these two weeks, I feel like a lot of change has been thrown at me. I was attending an event a couple of days ago, and something there that happened struck me in a way that made me want to talk about it, out loud. I met someone who was older than me, who was questioning me in not just a curious way of what I was doing in the fashion industry, but more so of why I thought I was worthy enough to do what I was doing because of my age. In a place like New York City, you'll constantly find yourself surrounded by people who are much older than you. That's become the norm for me. Meeting people who are my age, especially in my industry, is rare, and I've learned to be okay with that. In fact, I've always been okay with that. I prefer it more because I like to challenge people who have been through things a little longer than I have and have different experiences than my own. Speaking of experiences, I made it known to that person who couldn't wrap the thought around that yes, I belonged here and I deserved what I was doing because I've been doing this for eight years. No, it was not just handed to me. No, I didn't go about it in a way that I deserve this because I'm young and I should get whatever it is I want without working for it. She was pretty stuck on the idea that we millennials don't know how to work for anything. Everything is so easy now and we try to influence people without actually understanding it. Wrong. I made it known that I worked hard for this. I built my blog from nothing. It was almost me saying out loud that I knew my worth and nothing that anyone could say to me could deter me away from it. I have just about the same amount of experience as some of the people in my industry, if not more. And yes, I may be the youngest, but I'm confident enough to say that I have taught myself and learned through experience with what I'm trying to grow at. I still have a long way to go, don't get me wrong, but this is why I believe age doesn't determine your worth. Anyone else feel like they've run into lots of people who tell you who you should be because of your age? It's really interesting to me, and each and every time it happens, I take it in a way to constantly challenge myself to answer it in the most upright and respectful way. Not because I'm just polite, but because I know my own worth and I respect myself enough to stand up for who I am. Someone I truly care about told me this yesterday and it stuck out to me. I feel like I can fit in everywhere without actually fitting in everywhere. I can talk to people, I can enjoy the conversations with people because I want to know about them and help them. But I've never been a part of a group because I'm always doing my own thing. 
preach. Wow, did I really say all that in 2018? What a time. I want to talk about the number games we play with money. We always hear of those stories of celebrities shooting up to the top and and getting so famous that they end up having some sort of mental breakdown and then turn to alcohol, drugs, or other things to cope. That's how it feels like with money, when people have a lot of it, to the point where they don't know what to do. They're never satisfied. They want more because being financially stable is never enough. If you got to where you are now, you can always aim higher and higher. It's a good thing to be motivated, but to be driven by money is a hopeless life journey. I have conversations with friends who say, well, if I had more money, I think I'd be much happier. I'd be able to do more things and travel the way I want and and live the way I want. I've never let money phase me. And I think it has to do with the way you were raised, the way you were raised around money. If it was something you had to work for early on, then you know the struggles of being financially responsible and humbled when you do get money versus people who were raised with money, didn't work for it, never struggled and knew what it felt like to live without money at their disposal and never understanding why people can't buy things It really is the way you were raised around money. There are many number games we play, but these are the ones I really want to focus on. Can you truly and genuinely ask yourself the question, what matters the most to you? Will your response reflect that numbers subtly define your life? We can't stop the numbers. They will always exist. They will always be everywhere. They will give us the opportunity to look at the decisions we are making. But numbers can be helpful too. We need them to set goals, uh, recognize areas for growth, and assess our, our progress. We can measure a lot in numbers, but a number cannot define what matters most. What matters most can only be expressed with the intangible things. Words, what we feel with our hearts connections, love, spontaneity, adventure, happiness. When you travel, it's not about the number of countries and cities you've visited. It's about the ventures and experiences you've gained along the way. When you post on social media, it's not about the number of likes on your photos. It's about the memory you're recapping from the photo or the connection you're wanting to build with your community. When you teach a class, it's not about how many people show up to it. It's about what the people gain from it, what they learn from it. When you run, it's not about how long you run, whether it's 30 minutes or two hours. It's about taking care of your body and growing mentally and physically stronger. When you weigh yourself, It's not about how much you weigh on the scale. It's about whether you feel healthy and love you for the body and the person you are. We live a quantitative life. Numbers play a huge role in this world, but they should never measure the value of our lives. Numbers play a purpose 
and we should be more aware of it. As difficult as it was for me to understand the steps when solving a math equation, I can look at life as the biggest math equation of all and not feel like it needs to be solved this very moment. In fact, it's as simple as we make it. Be sure to follow along and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Stay tuned and keep listening to the next episode in the series, The Truth Behind Toxic Tendencies. Natalie Michelle, a good friend of mine here in New York City, who was also on the podcast for Seasons of Grief a few seasons ago, is joining me for this conversation. We'll be talking about toxic tendencies through jealousy, bad habits, and following on social media, and more. Thanks for tuning in!